At Baptist Health South Florida, it's our mission to care for you when you're injured or sick and help you stay healthy and fit. Welcome to the Baptist Health Talk podcast, where our respected experts bring you timely, practical health and wellness information to improve your family's quality of life. Welcome Baptist Health Talk podcast listeners. I'm your host, Dr. Jonathan Fialco. I'm a preventative cardiologist and lipidologist at Baptist Health's Miami Cardiac and Vascular Institute, where I'm also Chief of Cardiology at Baptist Hospital and the Chief Population Health Officer at Baptist Health. No one goes through life without experiencing pain from time to time. Pain is part of the body's defense system. It can warn us to stop doing something that can cause an injury. Pain usually fades as an injury heals. But according to the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, more than 20% of American adults suffer from chronic pain. This complex and frustrating condition was the subject of a recent episode of Baptist Health's Resource Live program, which I had the pleasure to host. My guests were Dr. Seth Elboali, who's the Director of Interventional Pain Management at Marcus Neuroscience Institute, part of Baptist Health, Dr. Lee Jo Jose, a family medicine physician with Baptist Health Primary Care, and Francisco Garcia, a physician assistant at the Arthritis Clinic at the Miami Orthopedic and Sports Medicine Institute at Baptist Health. Let's hear what they had to say. Let's kick it off, Seth, with you. Um, let's start with the basics. What, what is the difference between chronic pain and other kinds of pain? Chronic pain, there's a varying definition of it, but essentially pain for greater than three months or greater than six months. Uh, it's not acute pain. It's not twisting your wrist, for example. Uh, and it's ongoing and, and it can be progressive and debilitating. Any patterns to the kind of pain? It depends on the individual. Oftentimes they have, you know, chronic low to moderate pain that spikes or flares with uh, certain activities or certain uh, lengths of time. Lee Joe, let's turn it over to you. We know that someone can get an injury and pain can go away. Um, let's start with the medical aspects of someone with chronic pain. What are the signs or symptoms of someone with pain um, that might signal someone should get looked at? And specifically, can chronic pain be a sign of other medical problems? An injury, so to speak, you know, we could identify what caused it. When people have chronic pain otherwise, what are the kind of things that you would look for or someone should be aware of? So chronic pain can, you know, be seen in many different ways. Um, it's pretty much, you know, either we know if there's a originating cause, it could be something like arthritis, cancer pain that we know where it comes in is just not going away after three months. Um, but other things can also leave us prone to having chronic pain. Um, sometimes it's an old injury and essentially we've, in our body has changed in terms of how we perceive pain and we're still feeling it after a little while. So it's our job as primary care physicians to really just kind of I try to identify if we can find a root cause for it that we can possibly help manage. Um, and if not, we have to kind of just figure out what the pain is causing and essentially how to, you know, how to manage the, the effects of that pain, whether it's the anxiety, the depression, the, the fatigue they feel from it. Um, most of these patients, they'll feel it in a bunch of different ways. It could be aching, it could be burning. It could be from the nerves. Um, so it's, it's very vague, but uh, you know, when you, whenever you come to your primary care, we really want to just assess where it is, how it's affecting you, how it's changed, and what things are helping and what things are making it worse. So uh, an injury, a joint or an orthopedic problem, and we'll ask Francisco about this in a second. People generally can say, I'm in pain because I fell or, or did this or hurt this. 
Where would be the more common causes or, or, or findings you see when it's not joint related? You threw out there, for example, cancer pain. Do you, know, do you mean people with cancer can develop a pain syndrome or can someone present with a pain and it turns out that it's caused by cancer? Well, it's, you know, different injuries and diseases can also, they, they cause changes to the body that leave them more sensitive to pain. Um, and, you know, these injuries and diseases that we have, we might not always recognize them while we're having them. Um, but they do, you know, because these patients have been feeling pain for some, you know, length of time, which is greater than three months, you know, there's something has changed in the body. And it's our job. So when we can't see it um, pretty much overtly in terms of an injury, we start looking for things like, is it a nerve pain? Is there something in the body that's um, creating this extra sensitivity to pain? Um, and that's when we really order, you know, different tests and different diagnostics to make sure everything else is optimized in the body and see what's left. So I think the take-home point going forward is if, if certainly if someone feels pain, they want to get assessed and treated so they're not in pain. But we also want people who have a chronic pain to see the primary care doctor to make sure the pain is not coming from something else that could be a concern. So I think it's both ways of approaching it, which is well said. Um, Francisco, from an orthopedic standpoint, sure you see a lot of acute pain as well as going back to the chronic pain. Where do you see more of the, is there a pattern to the, to the orthopedic causes of chronic pains? Are there some joints, for example, that might be more contributing to chronic pain or kinds of people that medical conditions that might lead towards a, a higher likelihood of chronic pain. Do you see any patterns from the orthopedic standpoint? Oh, definitely. Uh, so one of the most common conditions, chronic conditions that I see here in the clinic is hip and knee arthritis. Um, we have about 53 million of Americans today living with arthritis and their joints. That means one out of four Americans complain of one or multiple joint pain, uh, which can be acute or they can be chronic. Uh, the majority of them are chronic because they've been lingering, uh, Dr. Seth had mentioned, for more than uh, three to four, six months, even greater. Uh, sometimes it's an exacerbation of the pre-existing condition that causes the pain to intensify. So the way that I normally describe arthritis and, and pain uh, to the patients here is uh, we have three different types of arthritis. We have about 100 types of arthritis. So the easiest way to uh, differentiate them as osteoarthritis, inflammatory arthritis, and post-traumatic arthritis, meaning osteoarthritis uh, is the most common affecting approximately 32.5 million of Americans, while the other two are less. Post-traumatic arthritis, uh, just to give a brief information, is secondary after a trauma to the joint, and inflammatory arthritis and osteoarthritis are more genetics. Um, uh, osteoarthritis, if I could interrupt, it's also more of um, a degenerative process, right? Correct. It's a degenerative process that can occur at any age. I mean, data right now states that people, even in their early 30s, can actually have osteoarthritis disease because come from genetics condition. Do you see any patterns in the people who might have more arthritic type of causes of chronic pain? Well, while arthritis doesn't really discriminate on age group or socioeconomics or the type of activities or, or their BMI, uh, there's definitely a lot of influence on overweight patients and patients who pra uh, participate on high impact activities such as long distance runner. Um, so definitely takes a toll on their joints. Um, now let's get into, I think, the meat of it, which is probably more what we can offer people who have chronic pain syndrome. So Seth, let, let's start with you as a, a, you know, a leader in interventional pain management. Um, Obviously, chronic pain can limit people. Can you speak a little bit about when people come to you, what's the main reason in terms of activity limitations? And then what are the kind of options that can be offered to people who have a chronic pain uh, syndromes? 
So most of our patient population here is elderly, uh, and we have a lot of back pain-related or spine-related uh, conditions. Uh, certainly, spinal stenosis is a big uh, player in this population. We also have uh, younger people with more acute disc herniations and such causing spine-related pain. So uh, the key part is uh, they all get some sort of imaging where they've had it before that they've seen us and physical exam to determine does their pain complaint match their physical exam, does it match their imaging to really figure out what's the best sort of treatment plan for them. Uh, how, how uh, go on. So, so to that end, when you do your assessment uh, and obviously everyone's individualized, um, is, is a treatment plan based on the person, again, their subject of I'm in pain, I don't want pain. Is there a threshold that it's, I can't do something? And if that's the case, what are the more common things that people can't do? And let's start with the population you're talking about, an older population, let's say with spinal stenosis. What are the, what are the early signs of that? And what are the, how does that limit people? Uh, usually they're limited in the amount they can walk. So they get essentially claudication or they get increased back pain or leg pain as they walk. Uh, oftentimes they have to walk with a walker or a shopping cart leaning forward, these, these kind of things, where they have to stop every 50, 100 feet. And it really varies depending on the individual, their pain threshold, et cetera. Um, uh, sometimes they can't even stand for more than five to 10 minutes without having to sit down. So those are the big complaints we see in the, in the older population. Younger people are complaining that, you know, that it's hard to stand at work or, or you know, perform at their job. Uh, and also they won't want to do sports, essentially. So, so go through a little bit um, um, the treatment options, maybe ranging from the younger person who has some, say, back pain withstanding to the more severe conditions. What's the, what are the treatment options that you offer? Obviously, as you mentioned, gauge towards the person's pain tolerance and, and uh, yeah, their own limitations. Um, run through the gamut a little bit of what you would offer. So it's a, it's a little different for us because, you know, we're almost like a tertiary care sort of uh, specialty. So most people have already kind of gone through their primary, seen orthopedics, even seen neurosurgery before they see me. But in general, uh, conservative treatment first. And conservative treatment is uh, things such as uh, physical therapy, body conditioning, core strengthening, all these kind of things. Uh, medications with anti-inflammatories, if, if appropriate. Uh, once they sort of fail these kind of initial initial treatments, usually that's when they're coming to, to our door and say, what, what interventional things can we do to increase your function and your quality of life? And, and that varies from uh, simple injections to things like uh, ablation treatments where we ablate nerves to joints uh, up to including the spinal cord stimulation. So real, real spectrum of things you'll offer people from, from uh, depending on the, how limited they are and how much pain they're in. I'm listening to you and from personal experience, I was having lower back pain, walking for long periods of time, went through the usual workups, found, you know, as a degenerative condition, recommended for physical therapy and then core exercises. And you know what, Seth, they actually work. I mean, it's fascinating. I mean, it really relieves the pain. And then, of course, when I don't do it for a period of time, it comes back and I have to do it again. But um, Francisco, back towards the arthritis and treatments now. So what, what do you see um, in your practice and with the Miami Orthopedic uh, Sports Medicine Group? What are the things that we can, we can offer people for those joint complaints, those arthritic complaints? Um, Seth mentioned about chronic back pain, degenerative spine conditions, et cetera. 
what do you see for the other joints, the hips and the knees and, and maybe shoulders? So in the clinic, we focus on the non-surgical treatment for knee and hip arthritis. Um, in the United States, we do approximately 1 million uh, hip and knee replacements per year. That's not counting shoulder replacement, uh, elbow replacement, et cetera. Um, the clinics we focus here is in, in non-surgical management. Uh, patients who have arthritis not necessarily need to proceed with a joint replacement surgery. Uh, the majority of them can be treated. Their symptoms uh, based on uh, evidence-based treatments that are shown to help reduce the pain, the inflammation, and restore the function back to the patient's uh, need. Uh, most of the things that we do here in the clinic is uh, physical therapy, lifestyle modification, education of the patient's condition, uh, weight reduction, and then um, we talked about intraticular knee injections, oral anti-inflammatories, et cetera. In other words, is there a stepwise approach or again, very individualized? Yes, it's definitely a, a, a stepwise approach. And obviously you also tailor the treatment based on the patient's condition. What have they done before? Am I that second or third opinion? Have they done physical therapy in the past? And um, if they did it 10 years ago, then it's worth trying to repeat the physical therapy again because they haven't done anything for the past eight, nine, 10 years. Um, and you mentioned surgery is an option. Um, is there ever a situation where you or your colleagues will look at someone and say, you know what, it just ain't going to work, you need, you need a replacement, or is that always a result of other process, the result after other um, interventions have failed? Well, it also depends on the patients, um, how much this is affecting their, 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 their activities of daily living, how much they're affecting their quality of life. Uh, just because a patient shows up to the clinic and we get x-rays and they're bone on bone doesn't mean necessarily they need to proceed with surgery. Um, maybe that patient is very low demand, um, who maybe has a lot of comorbidities and may not benefit from surgery at this time. Maybe they benefit more from non-surgical management. If you can meet that, then you help that patient. And I think that's great. That's what um, Seth brought up as well. And as well as Lee Joe, it's a customized approach. People should not have to go in with a preconceived notion of what they need or what they're going to get. Talk to the doctor, get the evaluation and create that treatment plan that's unique to your situation and you know, your desires, what you want out of the, uh, out of the treatments. Um, Seth, actually, let me, let me pull it back for a second. I mean, um, you're an anesthesiologist and uh, you know, director of an interventional chronic pain, uh, interventional pain management. Um, let, let, let the viewers know a little bit about what's the unique aspects of the anesthesiology training and skill sets that, that puts you in that role. What can be offered as an anesthesiologist in this role uh, that makes it unique? Well, most, uh, like I say, most fellowship trained pain physicians were anesthesiologists up until maybe 10, 15 years ago. And now there's also physiatrists and neurologists that do pain fellowships, even the family medicine ER doctors. So it, the field has changed somewhat, but traditionally what uh, most anesthesiologists were the ones doing pain because of their skill set with uh, needle placement, intervention, these kind of things. So that's that's how it evolved into a, a, a separate uh, field, essentially, over time. It's it's putting very small needles into very sensitive places, right? There you go. Sometimes big needles, though. <laughs> uh, Lee, Joe, I want to spend a couple of minutes um, um, working in your space now. Um, um, where do you see, in, from your experiences, when you are addressing people with chronic pain, what are the kind of things you've seen and how have you helped those people? What do you offer? What do you have for people in the primary care setting? So in the primary care setting, we often see, you know, we're the first uh, people to see these patients. Um, I think our, our biggest role is, is really just 
assessing a patient, assessing their comorbidities, and trying to optimize them to eliminate what's actually truly, you know, causing the chronic pain versus what are other, you know, situations and positions they're putting themselves in that's contributing to the pain. Now, pain is often a cycle, you know, like sometimes people will get chronic pain, they'll get anxiety and depression from there, and it, you have to kind of try to break that cycle up. So our job is first to just optimize the patient, to try to help them with their depression, their anxiety, now make them, you know, encourage them to be exercising more, to take care of themselves, to, you know, avoid drugs, avoid, um, you know, smoking. Um, and once we're left with just what's, you know, what's left is just the chronic pain, and then we can attack, you know, kind of attack that directly. Um, most of the patients we have here, you know, they have a lot of comorbidities, they have the diet, they have diabetes, they have hypertension. Once we get these under control, a lot of their, their pain sensation does improve. Um, and they, they're also in a better role to help, you know, actively manage their pain, to participate in physical therapy, to participate, you know, in going to their appointments. Um, so a lot of what we see is really just trying to improve the whole lifestyle of the patient in order to put themselves in a better position to, again, manage their pain and break that cycle. Um, I have two follow-ups to that. One is, and you've mentioned um, um, earlier and today uh, and just now, uh, which is extremely profoundly important, how people with chronic pain can start becoming depressed and, and anxious, you know, very much related, as well as people anxious and depressed, lower pain thresholds, so they, they notice pains more. Um, how important is that as part of your both assessment and treatment? Are you able to assess that with people and then the pain will improve or go away? Uh, is it just part of it? I mean, how, how speak a little bit of what your experiences are when you start assessing people's depression and or anxiety and how it's related. So with, again, we're talking about patients with chronic pain that have been living with this for months to years. Um, it becomes very frustrating and they, you know, there's a, there's a big limitation in what they can do in terms of physically with their social life, um, with their work life. And we find that, you know, depression is a, is, can be a side effect of, or of the, um, of the chronic pain, but it can also contribute to the worsening of the experience of the chronic pain. So, um, it's, it's, it's very important that we just not focus on specifically just the specific pain, but rather the entire lifestyle. And we, I find that most often when we do a multi-tiered, you know, approach of just, you know, helping them with their depression, helping them with their uh, anxiety, encouraging them to, you know, make better choices in their life. They, they also respond to the pain tree, uh, the pain management that we're also trying to provide much better. And overall, it's, it's a great way to break that cycle. Sure. Um, and another question uh, at you, but anyone can chime in, um, a particular pain syndrome, diabetic neuropathy, which we see quite frequently, certainly in our space. Can you speak a little bit about what that's like for people, how they present, and then what we can offer people who have, um, first explain kind of what it is, and then what we can offer people who have the diabetic neuropathy? So on, on my end, I, I see a lot of patients, they come in, they've had diabetes for a long time. Diabetic neuropathy, most often it's, it's, you know, known as numbness and tingling in the feet bilaterally. Um, it becomes very debilitating in terms of it, it, it decreases their sleep quality. They're in constant pain. They, they basically, it, it, it can lead to a chronic depression almost in terms of the fact that they're not able to do the things that you, they used to be able to do. Our job is to 
try to help them you know, lessen that pain. We do offer different treatments. It starts with uh, medications that were actually used as anticonvulsants to help bring down the nerve uh, sensation there. Um, on top of that, we have to prevent it from getting worse. So it's, uh, it's just as important that we manage the diabetes and we get on top of it as quickly as possible. Um, and I'm sure everybody else can probably give you a little bit more information on more specific treatments for it. Um, but it's our job is really just to take care of the diabetes and to help mitigate the pain uh, with small medication just to give them some quality of life. But it is a chronic pain syndrome, as you noted, um, uh, for a specific population. An example of the pain is caused by obviously a nerve damage, but because of an other medical condition, not something mm -hmm. specific to the joint. We can talk about chronic back pain, uh, one of the most common pain syndromes, most common reason people go to the emergency room is acute back pain. But let, let's talk about other treatments out there. You guys are specialists using prescription medications, uh, injections into the joint, procedures as Seth mentioned that are very sophisticated to actually eradicate the, the nerve function of pain. Um, what about things that are out there regarding, say, alternative medicine. And first, let's speak about things like massage therapy and acupuncture, and then maybe address supplements or any over-the-counter preparations that are purported to health. Um, I'll start with you, Francisco. First, do you have any thoughts of these? Do you use these these techniques? We'll call them alternative medicines and subsequently supplements at all in, in, in where your assessment of patients? I do believe alternative medicine could be com uh, combined with our traditional ways of, of, of treating chronic pain. Um, as may not be the first line of treatment, we can definitely use it as a combination. One of the main questions that I get asked uh, every day in my clinic is, uh, should I use supplements? Should I use supplements such as glucosamine, chondroitin to prevent any flare-ups, to prevent pain, or to uh, restore my cartilage? So I give them a brief explanation that uh, this combination of supplements may, may benefit, but it's not directly and clinically proven to provide all the, all the stuff that they're claimed to do. Um, and in a sense, there's no proof they help. I mean, it's very interesting dialogue, which mm -hmm. you know, maybe to our producers, we could do a Facebook Live about placebos and whatnot. But if someone takes something safe and they feel better, even if it's not something that's actively making them feel better, in a sense, isn't that the goal? On the other hand, we want to be very careful if we're going to recommend something to let people know, you know there's no data supporting it, as you just said with the conjunctin and glucosamine. What about you, Seth? Do you see a role for uh, alternative medicine therapies and subsequently any supplements or over-the-counter therapies um, that people may choose? I think it's, you know, it's sexy and, and, and people like it. The, the reality is if you do a little literature search on any of these things from uh, creams to CBD oil to THC to stem cells, the evidence is extremely lacking, meaning it doesn't exist. So, you know, my basic take, I tell patients that if they have money that they don't need, maybe they should give it to charity because I, I think that'd be a better use of the funds. Uh, and, you know, some of these uh, alternative treatments, they've tried to work their way into the mainstream like PRP and stem cells. They're really not. Uh, and they're really expensive and I look at it as preying on people's desperation with chronic pain. So I'm not a fan. So I think the, the viewers can see a little skepticism of our, our, our experts here. Um, not a lot of, no data really supporting them. It could be expensive. People looking for that magical fix. Um, but certainly if you're going to do it, make sure it's in complementary towards the proper medical evaluation and um, uh, medical treatments that have been established to be helpful. And then um, um, Lee Joe, again, what's your, 
Um, what's your situation in those those types of uh, uh, tr alternative treatments and potentially supplements? I, I actually tend to agree with both the other uh, two people. It's just mainly that I think people are coming in looking for an easy fix, um, and they want me to support them on that. And I think the main thing I got to tell them is that it's not going to be easy. You have to go through the treatment that is, you know, um, that has proven to be effective for this. You have to take care of your health and it's not, you can't, there's no magic pill that will just solve this. Um, some of these patients, they, they'll try, they'll try everything except for, you know, what's clearly in front of them is just taking care of the, the issue that's in front of them. And sometimes we have to really have that hard conversation. Chronic pain is not something that you have to be fearful about coming into the doctor for it's, you know, we have treatment options available for you. And, you know, the first step is not to just wait and just to come in and get, you know, seek, seek out help immediately when you need it. To our listeners, if you have a comment or a suggestion for a future topic, please email us at baptisthealthtalk at baptisthealth.net. That's baptisthealthtalk at baptisthealth.net. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening and stay safe. Find additional valuable health and wellness information on our resource blog at baptisthealth.net slash news. And be sure to interact with us on our social media channels for live and upcoming events. This podcast is brought to you by Baptist Health South Florida, healthcare that cares.